It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I've been battling for some time with this kind of funk that the church and our world seems to be in. I've got a lot of thoughts on this. I'm hoping it's going to come out clear to you this morning. But there's, there's this, this funk that it feels like the church is in. Maybe I'm in uh, to some degree. Maybe you're in. It's this lethargic kind of kind of feeling of just kind of, are we making progress? Where are we going? What are we doing? I'm tired. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, but I'm glad the pandemic's over. But what's happening in our world right now? What's, what's taking place right now in our, in our world? I mean, look at all the, the shootings that have happened recently. Like, that's, that's pretty nuts. That's, uh, it's absolutely crazy. Um, where, where, where is this going? What, what is, what is taking place right now? Like, like something, something broke, all right? Something broke. It's not funny at all. I mean, between Uvalde, Texas, Buffalo, New York, uh, going to forget the name of the other place in Illinois that just had, had the shooting. I mean, like, and then you've got 18-year-old kids, 18, 18 years old in Uvalde and Buffalo. I think the kiddo that just did the other shooting was 21, maybe 23, something like that. What's happening? Like, why does our world seem so broken, and why are these kids, like, going out and saying, like, this is the last resort for me? I've just been doing some, some reading on that, and it it's basically comes down to that these kids are at this place where they're just like, no one cares about me. I'm not, I'm not being acknowledged. I'm not being respected. Um, someone has slighted them on some level. They take that out on a racial group or a people group or, or maybe everyone in multiple cases. And they just come to this place where they just say, uh, if I'm going down, I'm taking people with me. And so there's, there's this, this stuff going on in our world. There's stuff going on uh, with, with these, these shootings. And then you, you look at what's happening in, even in the church. I'm listening to a podcast by Mark Sayers. I listen to it a lot. It's called Rebuilders. And um, he has some interesting things to say. He's kind of a social, uh, or I guess a, a, a sociologist on some level, but he's really a pastor and he just has ideas about why things are the way that they are. And he talks about this great acceleration that's taken place in our world. And I, I think he was saying that it, it kind of peaked around 2016. And if you remember, 2016 is when um, Trump uh, got into office and I, I think just like with over the last two or uh, three presidents, it was, you know, Obama, hope and change. And then you have uh, Trump. And so now the Republicans think now the real hope and change is going to happen. You know, like the, you know, America is going to be great again or what have you. And I, I know some people like really hate it when I talk about politics and stuff. And I, I just was hoping to offend you this morning um, on some level. But, but uh 
But, but seriously though, but look, look, at, look at what, what has taken place like just on the political spectrum of like, we thought this was it. And then on some level, like it felt like it was going to be it. Like, I mean, there were just advances in technology. I mean, you just look at since the advent of the iPhone in 2007 and, and then all of the, the apps that make life so much easier and the way that social media has grown and the way that people can congregate and the way that, I mean, the way that TV has changed going from like network TV or like paid channels to uh, all these streaming services and like in... And the, the economy growing, although, you know, Republicans would say, you know, it's the slowest recovery in history with, with Obama. And then Trump takes office and it's just like, bam, like there's so much growth. But either way, there's just been growth. It's just been continual growth. It's been going up, going up, going up, going up. And, and it gets to this point where it's just like, man, this is, this is amazing. And there was this great acceleration and people are busy and you're busier than you've ever been. I read in an article saying that like people were checking their email like 74 times a day. And like, there's just like, we can make the world better hope and change. We're going to make America great again. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing when we finally get there. And then like all of a sudden this, this massive slowdown hit obviously because of the pandemic. And all of a sudden, everybody is just like exhausted. And something happened there. And I, I don't know that we will know exactly what that is entirely. But, I, but I, I think what's taking place is that people have gotten to the point where they thought, you know, this, this will bring about change in, in our world. This will bring about change in me. I'll change my circumstances, I'll work harder, I'll make things happen, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll get more work, I'll, I'll get more friends, I'll, I'll, all of these hopes and dreams of, like if I just work a little bit harder, then things will get better, and we got busier and busier and busier, and more of our time was taken up, and more stuff was, was happening, and then all of a sudden everything stops, and we go from this great acceleration to this great slowdown, slash the, the great resignation, which I talked about a couple weeks ago, where people are quitting their jobs and they're quitting their churches and they're quitting their state and they're quitting everything and there's just this resignation to life. I know this is a very uplifting sermon. Uh, the New York Times had a couple of articles just recently, or actually a year ago and then another one just, just recently. And the title of the first one here is, uh, there's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. It's called languishing. And this guy, Adam Grant, his great cure uh, for languishing, which is the void between depression and flourishing, his cure is this. He says, so what can we do about it? A concept called flow may be an antidote to languishing. Flow is that elusive state of absorption in a meaningful challenge or momentary bond where your sense of time and place and self melts away. What the heck does that even mean? Okay, so then he says, Here, here's, here's what flow is, guys. Okay, this is not a joke, all right? An early morning word game catapults me into flow. Wordle, anybody? Wake up and do some wordle. 
a late night, this is, he's dead serious here, a late night Netflix binge sometimes does the trick too. It transports you into a story where you feel attached to the characters and concerned for their welfare. Just check out. Just check out. Check out, read a story. It'll be amazing. Or, or uh, do a word game in the morning. At night, just like binge on Netflix. That's in the New York Times. He's serious. It's not a joke. Like, just binge on Netflix. It'll be amazing. Somebody else picked up on that story from a year ago, and they said, and this, and this is the name of their, his name is Brad uh, Stolberg in the New York Times, says, you've done self-care, you've languished, now try this. Uh, he says, we want to feel motivated to get unstuck. The question, of course, is how? Sometimes we are languishing and feeling exhausted, emotionally, physically, socially, or spiritually. The best thing we can do is rest. But at a certain point, rest creates inertia. Our minds and our bodies are as recovered as they're going to be, uh, yet we still feel off. At this point, many can benefit from deploying a psychological concept called behavioral activation. Here, here's, all right, flow is out, behavioral activation is in, if I can even say it, all right? What is behavioral activation? It's activating your behavior. Work harder. That's, that's we're back to work, okay? You, you, better, you better get back to work. And then he, he goes on and he says, the challenge with behavioral activation is mustering enough energy to start acting on the things that matter to you. Make that phone call. Schedule that walk with friends. Write that email. Get off social media and start on the creative project you've always been procrastinating on. Isn't that the problem? <laughs> I don't feel like doing it, right? Uh, this may sound simple, but when you're languishing, simple does not mean easy. Get back to work, you slackers, all right? Do some Wordle, Netflix binge, crossword puzzle, something like that, everything will be fine. This is the best that our world has to offer you, folks. That's the New York Times. That's absurd. It's completely absurd. And I would argue this, that the same reason why the young man goes and shoots up a 4th of July parade or an elementary school or a grocery store is the same reason why you and I perhaps feel like we're languishing. In fact, I have another article which I don't have time to go into that basically says, we call these people evil, pure evil. And there are a couple of different articles at least, and, and I'm sure there's more, say that's not helpful. It's not really a mental health problem. It's actually a problem with every single one of us. In fact, I have to, I have to actually read this. It says, there is a mental and psychological dimension to the problem to be sure, but it is not illness or pathology. It is the universal human quest for significance and respect. The mother, I believe, of all social motives. What those guys are suffering from is what you and I are suffering from. The, the quest for, what's it say? Significance and respect. Those guys were disrespected. So, something didn't work out the way that they wanted. And they just responded in a different way. They took a, a shortcut to fame and glory. 
And you and I, well, I mean, I see many of you sitting in the seats here. Like, I don't look at you and say, wow, you're really searching for fame and glory. But the truth is, is, is that this is, this is not somebody from the Christian world. This is uh, Ari Krug, Kruglansky, a professor of psychology at University of Maryland, who's saying it is a universal thing that all of us want. And when we call them, that when we say that they have a mental health problem, which I have a hard time believing that they don't, but when we say that, it's not helpful because all of us are suffering from the same thing. Another article in Politico says the same exact thing. These shooters are us. Three days before the shooting, they were a son. They were a grandson. They were a friend. They, will, they were a schoolmate. They were all those things. The, the universal problem that we have here is that all of us are languishing trying to tie all this together. All of us are languishing. The world has said, you can make America great again. You will have hope and change if you do these things. Just work a little harder, do a little bit more, and everything will be fine. And, and, and the stock market will continue to go up. And our, our standard of living will continue to go up. And life will get better and things, things will be better. It'll, it'll be amazing. And it just got to the point where it's just like, it isn't amazing. I feel worn out. I feel sure I don't want to do anything. I'm checking out. I'm out. And I think what, what's happening here on some level is that what's, what's been taking place in our world, in, in the church, that is, is that there's been many of us, and I, and I would argue most of us, in this room, a part of Outward Church in Salem and Silverton and wherever else, that have had like this uh, consumeristic Christianity that we've bought into. We, we know the gospel, we love the gospel, but like there has there been an acting on it? We've acted on it, I think, it, with good intentions. I think most of us in here have been like, man, I've been trying to grow, I've been trying to do things, but the truth is, is that something didn't take root. It's like we took some Christianity, but then we took some philosophy from the world. I can get hope and change. I, this, I can make America great again. I can make my family awesome. I can... I work a little harder, send more emails, and do all this. I can get in the flow, and everything will be just fine. The, the, the problem with that is that, like, you can know the gospel. You can, you can know what God has done for you. Brian Bradley, Pastor Brian Bradley and Pastor Brandon both talked about this last week in Salem and Silverton. You can know without knowing. You can, you can have this knowledge about God without actually having it penetrate into your life and without have it actually making any sense or any discernible difference in your life. It's, it's what the, the writer of Hebrews talks about. In Hebrews chapter 6. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 11. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let me continue. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Now that sounds heretical. He's saying, like, let's leave like the simple message of Christ. I don't think he's saying, leave it behind, don't believe it. It let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. He's not saying, okay, we're not, we're, we're, we're not going to do those things. He's saying, yes, that, yes, the basic principles of the faith. Yes, absolutely. What do all those things mean? People are split on exactly what it all means. But it seems like it's the elementary principles that they would teach new believers in the church. When they came in, they would teach them these things. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, like, you learned those things, but you never really went on to maturity. You never went on to maturity. And I would argue that that lack of maturity, that lack of growth that we possess, and I'm including myself in this, because I'm one of you, I'm a church member along with you. That lack of maturity is, is why we sense the same level of languishing today. It is why we have this sense of like, uh, lethargicness. Why, why, why it seems like maybe we're not growing. Why it seems like the church just becomes unimportant. Why Mark Sayers calls uh, this the, the great slowdown. And then he calls it the, the great volunteer resignation. Church is having hard times finding volunteers. We're having that too. Not the end of the world. We'll make adjustments. Why? I'm just done, I've tried everything. I tried, to, I tried to make it work, I tried to make it happen. I tried, I tried to do what I needed to do and I just got used to, to resting. And maybe now you're languishing. All of that was to tell you this. It says here in verse let me pick it up in verse 17. Nope, verse 16. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And this is what I'm teaching on today. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. There's this concept here that says, like, what actually needs to happen in your life is not like getting into the flow and doing a, a, a word, you know, uh, game or more Netflix binging, or just mustering the ability 
through behavioral activation. I said it right that time. It's not that. But what actually needs to take place in order for you to go on to maturity and stop like, like at this point, I should, I should be so much further. Like, and, and, and instead of just saying, I've got to work harder, there's something about that that needs to happen to our heart, to the eyes of our heart. I'm no cardiologist, but I don't know that there are eyes on our hearts, right? But Paul is putting eyes on your heart, the central motivating controlling factor of your life. It's, it's the heartbeat of your soul. And he's saying, from the depths of your soul, you need to see that it is he who has called you. You need to, you need to have your eyes enlightened in order that you may know what is the hope to what he's actually called you. See, here, here's the thing. All of these other means that these politicians, teachers, psychologists, article, uh, reporters, all of those things, all of the things that, they're, that they are inviting us to are just means of self-salvation. Here's how to save yourself. You know when you're sharing the gospel with someone and, and you're, you're, when you're talking to them, you're, you want to tell them how to become saved. Here's how to receive salvation. And somebody might say, salvation from what? What does that even mean? Why do I need to be saved? Here's the thing. You are always trying to save yourself. More work, bigger house, nicer car. If I could just get married, if I could just get divorced, if I could just uh, uh, get this promotion, if I could just advance in all of these other ways, if I could just buy that piece of property, if I could just feel good. I, whatever it is, all of those are means to self-salvation. And the self-salvation thing is crumbling before our, our eyes. And even though nobody in here, as far as I know, is a mass murderer, that same impulse drives us to do what we want to do. And it drives us to desire to save ourselves, to save our life, to save our psychological makeup and to take us out of languishing. It's just more self-salvation. What Paul is presenting here is something that I think C.S. Lewis calls this. Let me read it for you. C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory, he says, the sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers. The longing to be acknowledged. To meet with some response. To bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality. Is part of our insoluble, in, I'm sorry, inconsolable secret. Do you, do you read those words there? Did you, did you hear that? He's saying the fact that in this world, that in some sense we're treated as strangers, we long to be acknowledged. We, we long to get some type of response from the universe, 
Like there's this chasm between us and wholeness. There's this chasm between us and hope. There's this chasm, and we can't seem to bridge that. And languishing is the just like, oh, I can't get across it. I can't get through it. And he says, it's part of our inconsolable secret. It's, there's a secret inside of us and it's inconsolable and we can't seem to get, I, I just can't seem to get there. I just can't seem to move past it. I just can't seem to, uh, to come to a place of wholeness, a place of peace, a place, a, 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 a place of rest. And then I read an article and it says, you, you gotta work harder. All of those things. And he says, and surely from this point of view, the promise of glory, which I would call our sense of hope, from this point of view, the promise of glory in the sense described becomes highly relevant to our deep desire. For glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we've been knocking all our lives will open at last. What, what C.S. Lewis is calling, and I know, I know this is hard because he's talking about glory, and I'm, and I'm talking about languishing, and I would say that the answer to languishing is this hope that's found in Christ. Colossians 1.27 the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This idea of hope and glory. I've been looking for acknowledgement. I've been looking for significance. I've been looking for, um, for someone to just reach out and for me to finally feel okay. And it's just not there. And he says, when you, when you get God, when you get what he is, when you get what he's about, when the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, that you would know the hope to which he has called you. When that happens, when that takes place, what you, what you have the opportunity for is this. There's a response from the most important person, the most important being, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's an acknowledgement there's a welcome into the heart of things. Oh, this is where I was always meant to be. This is where I was always, this is what I've been looking for in my success, in a, a promotion, in a career, in good works, in achievement, in relationship. This is what I've always been looking for, All this acknowledgement. This is the welcome into the heart of things that I've been wanting and he says, the door, I've been knocking on this door, and I keep thinking it's going to come through Barack Obama, or it's going to come through Donald Trump, or Joe Biden. God love him. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Someone else is going to, someone's going to do it. But at last, praise God that we're languishing. Why? Because as long as you think that there's a snowball's chance in hell that you can get your acknowledgement, you can get your glory, you can get your hope, you can get your, your, your self-fulfillment, as long as there is just, there's just the smallest chance. If I just work a little, it's the American spirit. 
It's, it's like, I just got to work harder. It's, it's awesome. I love to work. I love it. I, I love it too much. But as long as you think that you can control it, you're still stuck. You're still stuck. And you're going to be reading the New York Times and going after flow. And it's going to come to nothing. Work harder, acquire more, be better. You know, you know where that led us? Astronomical levels of anxiety disorders, depression, um, hopelessness. And you see it come out in the worst ways through these shootings and other terrible things. We've been trying to save ourselves. We've been trying to seek self-salvation. This great acceleration didn't satisfy. It didn't provide us with the respect and acknowledgement that we all wanted. And now we're seeing it play out. It's not a social issue. It's not a political issue. It's not a psychological issue. It's a spiritual issue. And our world is suffering from it. So what Paul is telling us here is he's saying, all of that was just to point out to you. There's a massive problem and we need the eyes of our heart enlightened. Paul goes on to say in chapter four, he uh, expands on this concept. Chapter four, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Reading the New York Times, working harder, sending more emails, checking email, whatever it is. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Their minds are futile. The church has largely taken on the mindset of our world the Gentiles, the non-Christian, right? We've taken that on. They, the world, the people who've taken on that mindset, who believe the New York Times, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, if that does not describe exactly what's going on in our world today, I don't know what does. This is insanity. Everything around us is insanity. It's completely stupid. It is, it is so absurd. And I buy into it day in and day out. And you buy into it day in and day out. It is such extreme foolishness, it's not even funny. And Paul calls it darkened. Darkness in their understanding. What he's telling us here is he's saying that you need to have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you would know the real hope to which God has called you. 
not the hopes and dreams that you have, but the hopes that he has for you. So why do we need our hearts enlightened? Well, it's because we are constantly, constantly languishing. Secondly, what does it mean to have the eyes of our heart enlightened? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22 through 24, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see what he's saying there? He's saying, he's not saying like, if you're blind, you're just, you're a bad person. That's obviously not what he's saying. He's saying like, there's the eye of your soul. And when that thing is darkened, when you get your information, if you don't know this by now, when you get your information and your soul searching met through, and I, I doubt anyone here has done your personal devotions from the New York Times this week, right? At least I, I hope not. And if you are, we should pray for you. Um, but but he's, he's saying like the eye is, is the lamp. And I, and I believe he's talking about the eye of your soul. Like this is what illuminates your body. Your whole body lies up, li- uh, livens up. It brings, it brings you out. It brings you to the surface. Okay. You can come up for air. You're no longer languishing. It's the eye. What's the eye seeing? What is your eye seeing? What is your heart understanding? What's happening there? What's taking place? Like, are, like when you look back over your life over the last 10 years, like do you see spiritual growth? Maybe you haven't been a Christian that long, but for as long as you've been a Christian, as long as you've been walking with Jesus, are you growing in Jesus? Or do you have a little bit of Jesus in a lot of the world? You had a little bit of light, and you haven't gone on to maturity yet. And it's interesting that right after that, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He attaches money to this thing where it's just like, no, I want to serve light and darkness. And Jesus says, you can't do light and darkness. That doesn't work. And by the way, one of the worst parts of it is money. The stock market's been going crazy. It's been awesome. Like we, we're wealthier than we've ever been. And then we got checks that we didn't need. Most of us didn't need in the mail, like during the pandemic. Woo, that was amazing. Hello, inflation, right? And then gas prices go up. And then things are way more expensive. Food's more expensive. And it's like, oh man, I don't have money. Now I don't feel good. I don't have as much. Guess what? It's an indicator, folks, that we serve both God and money. We are trying to. Jesus is saying, that can't happen. You're not serving God. You're just serving money. The eye is the lamp of the body. What is it that you're looking for, that you're looking to? What does it mean to have the eyes of our heart enlightened? It means this. First and foremost, it's that 
God has to do a work by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it ha he has to be the one that awakens us to the reality of the gospel. The reality of the gospel, which is this, that I cannot save myself. Maybe when you came to Christ, this is what you understood. Like, I know that I have sin in my life. I've done wrong things. I can feel it. I can feel the weight of it. And I, I know that I need forgiveness. And somehow, God awakened your soul. He awakened your spirit to understand something. And that is that he sent his son, Jesus, to the cross to pay for your sins. You accepted that as fact. And you went on with your life. So you've received the gospel, and now you know the gospel, but then that gospel is not actually transforming you, perhaps. And what's happening is this, is that you know the gospel, but you don't really know God. You know the gospel, but the eyes of your heart have not been enlightened. Look at what Paul is saying here. He's been going through in detail, like in verses 3 through 14, like all of the things that God has done for us over and over and over again, and he's saying, now that I've told you all these things, I want it to go beyond head knowledge, I want it to become heart knowledge, and what has to happen specifically is that the Spirit of God has to awaken you. It will not take flow. It will not take behavioral activation. It will not, that will not do. The only thing that will do is the Spirit of God working in your life. And so the first thing that I want to do, now that you know that, is I want to pray for you right now. And I ask that you pray for me. Would we bow our heads? I'm not ending the service yet. Just a prayer in the middle of the service. I know I'm freaking you out. Lord Jesus. God, I, I see this as like something that has to happen in our church. And God, we, we are destitute without you. Lord, I'm praying for these people in this room, the handful that are watching online, those that will listen to it later on podcast or on the app. And God, I am asking that you would awaken us by the power of your spirit, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know that we know that we know the real hope that's found in you. Lord, I pray for the men and the women in here right now that God, that you would take away all shame. Lord, that this is not a guilt-inducing thing. It's simply this. It's a cry for help. And God, you have graciously given us an opportunity in our world today as inflation goes up and our world goes crazy as gas prices are soaring and as things have never been so terrible in the U.S., I think, in our world, God, that you would awaken us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our, our hearts in a fresh way. God, we know that we already have the Spirit. We know that we already have you. Holy Spirit, we've been sealed with you, but we are asking right now that you would awaken our hearts that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and that you would create change in us. Amen. It has to begin with prayer. 
when you go to the Word, the first thing you must do is you must pray. You must pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I'm not saying, it's not a, it's not a magical saying, but it's just saying, Holy Spirit, I'm dependent on you, that you would open my eyes in a supernatural way. Open my, the eyes of my heart in a supernatural way. That you would pray that. That you would delight yourself in the Lord. It's turning off everything. The phone, the email, the, the Netflix binging, the Wordle, a crossword puzzle, everything else. It's turning all of that off. And it's, it's simply prayer. And this is what Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you his desires for your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Listen to that in light of everything that's happening right now. Start your day with that. Go on to verse 23 of Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. It is delighting in this, in this God. It's delighting in who he is through prayer. It's communing with him. It's saying, Lord, open my eyes to the reality of who you are, that in you are pleasures forevermore. It is self-reflection. It is reflecting on my life. The apostle Peter says in 2 Peter in chapter one there, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. He's saying, I want you to be hopeful in your calling. He says, he, and then he says, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And what are the qualities that he's talking about? He's saying, uh, like, virtue and steadfastness and self-control and brotherly love and all of these things. Like, are you examining your life and just going, man, am I self-controlled? Am I steadfast? Am I growing in these things in Christ? There's worship. Worship is the soundtrack of my faith. What do you do instead of flow? What do you do instead of, of, of behavioral activation? What do you do instead of languishing? You worship. What is languishing? Languishing is looking at myself and just going, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so done. Worship is the soundtrack of our faith. I was talking to a counselor the other day and she said, depression in most cases is extreme self-focus. 
Languishing is not depression. That guy said it was halfway there. It's extreme self-focus. What is worship? It's delighting in the Lord. It's, it's worshiping him for who he is. You don't know how to worship the Lord? You don't, don't know how to do that? You don't, don't know how to pray? pray? Read the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know what I've done? Is I just, I just read through that line by line. My Father that's in heaven, your name is hallowed. It's glorified. It's holy. It's righteous. It's good. It's everything. Do you know what's happening right there? I'm not languishing. I'm worshiping. You know what I have to do when I, when I do sermon prep? I put in the ear, earbuds and I sit there and I crank, crank my favorite worship song and it's on repeat. I've listened to a song like 50 times, I'll bet, during a sermon. I sit there and I listen to it over and over and over again and I just, man, it works me up. It takes the words of scripture and it like glues them to my heart, to my mind and it's, it's, I'm just worshiping. I'm not languishing, I'm worshiping. I could go on. It's, it's giving. It's looking outside yourself. You can't serve God and money. Give. Be generous to people. Be generous with God. Volunteer. It's the antidote to depression. That counselor said, you know what I do with, with people sometimes? I say, let's go serve somewhere. Let's, let's take our eyes off someone else. You know what's happening right now? The great volunteer resignation. And we've become self-absorbed. Not just you, not just me, but our world. Because of the gospel, we have the opportunity to be able to have the eyes of our heart enlightened so that the door on which we've been knocking all of our lives finally opens and that door is oh it's the hope of the one who has called me to himself Can we go to the lord's table here